Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halastic, and I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. Over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range. And I can't tell you how important it is for businesses to have a line of credit so they can make an investment in their business or even for unexpected emergencies. Uh, over those 25 years, numerous times I used my line of credit. Uh, mostly it was for emergencies and I was always so thankful I had it. And my business partner and I, who had his own business before we became partners, just really felt strongly that every business, every owner should have a line of credit. And yet it's just so hard to deal with banks to get a line of credit. It's crazy. Uh, and it's also, it can be very expensive too, if you don't use your line of credit that much and really, you know, your line of credit should be a great cash backup plan. It could also be used for, you know, making an investment in your business, but in general, a line of credit is used for short-term emergencies. So our line of credit program is easy to get in place inexpensive when used and costs nothing to set up, making it a, again, a great cash backup plan. If you'd like to learn more about our line of credit program, please visit us at fscreditline.com. That's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com, or give us a call at 862-207-4118. And if you apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file. Just remember, the time to set up a line of credit is before you need it, so that when you do need it, it is all ready to go. Today, I am very excited to be speaking with Samuel Timothy from One IMS. Samuel is a knowledgeable expert in online marketing, demand generation, and sales with over 15 years of experience. He helps businesses develop and execute marketing strategies that improve their lead generation efforts and drive business growth. Samuel is dedicated to helping clients achieve their goals and continually sets the bar higher. Currently, he serves as the chief growth officer for One IMS, an inbound marketing agency. Has, he has also co-founded ClickX, the digital marketing intelligence platform that eliminates blind spots for brand marketers and agencies. Samuel is a contributing author on Forbes, Inc. Magazine, and other business publication. He also hosts and produces his own show called Coffee and Closers, where he gathers valuable insights from successful entrepreneurs and business leaders. Sam, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Hey, Stephen, great to have, great to join you today. So today's topic, small business marketing, the key to your business growth. Um, you know, I my skill set has always been lead generation, getting marketing, and when I, I call it lead generation, it's really it's marketing. But I think for small businesses, I I like using the word lead generation um, because it's better understood. You know, what are you doing? You're trying to generate leads for your company. You're trying to get very, uh, you're trying to get clients that make you money, that make you, and and so it's very uh, de de definitive of what uh, I think is really critical. And I think of what it's missing in small businesses. So my first question to you, Sam, was when you're dealing with smaller businesses, businesses that are under $5 million in sales, do you notice that they have a lack of a strategy because uh, a lack of a strategy for lead generation? Yeah, I think the, the number one thing that they're faced with 
is obviously strategy is not very complex. The strategy is, hey, you got to have a systematic way to drive consistent flow of new business. What's the best and most efficient way to reach your customer? And that's essentially, and then finding the tactical ways to execute that plan, right? That's the, that's, that's pretty much is in terms of marketing strategy. But I think the biggest challenge businesses face is obscurity. Not enough people know that they exist. The lack of awareness is the biggest problem, right? And how many times you've heard business owners come to you and say, you know what, if only more people knew that I existed, we have the best product, we have the best customer service, we're the best kept secret in the marketplace, but just not a lot of people know about us. What they're really saying is that they have an awareness problem. They're an obscure company. Yeah, uh, it's not the you know the overly complicated marketplace. It's not the excess you know excess amount of comp- competition. You can't even blame it on economy for your own inability to make sure that your customers, your target customers, know that you exist. So I think the awareness challenge is what the number one business challenge, and the strategy has to be revolving around how do we make sure everyone who's my addressable market, how do I make sure that they all know that I exist. So that's the number one thing that I would say our businesses need to solve for. Yeah, you know, I'm going to have to, uh, and I don't normally do this. I, I'm going to have to challenge you on that a little bit mm-hmm. because, you know, I think when I, I remember, so I, I worked for Xerox for eight and a half years and, you know, I was kind of a corporate guy, like, right. I worked for a really huge company and, you know, I read the Wall Street Journal every day. And so I was used to big business mm-hmm. and big business, you know, they kind of teach you that branding really matters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think another word for branding is awareness. And what I found in running my companies was branding and awareness is nice for the big guy, mm-hmm. but for the, for the little guy, you want clients and yeah, someone could be really aware of you, but if, uh, 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 but if they're not going to click on the button to fill out your application for whatever, let's say a line of credit or, or fill out to get more information about this product you sell or whatever it is. Well, awareness doesn't really mean anything. I, I don't think. So I think, I think it's more um, deeper than just awareness. I, I think it is uh, lead generation that really makes a big difference in a company. What do you think? So I think, I think lead generation is the end, end outcome that you're expecting, that you have a consistent flow of inbound leads or inquiries that are coming in. But what you're also solving for is the awareness problem. So you mentioned Xerox. How many times you've heard people actually say, oh, make, it, make, make me a Xerox copy? So it almost becomes synonymous in the world that say, hey, make me a Xerox copy. What Xerox has done is branded themselves as the go-to product or the company to make a copy. And yeah, but I, I mean, they, I mean, their budget to do that. I, I mean, I have a friend that. who works for a company, uh, worked for a company called Fortune Brands. I mean, you know, that's what they do. It's mm-hmm. just their, it's branding, you know? Um, uh, I get your point though. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, first you have to go through the, the clients have to, you know, like be aware of you through, you know, being on Google and being on all the SEO results. And then you have to have a, a I wouldn't say exactly say a call to action, but mm-hmm. you then move them through the cycle of, you know, wanting more information or, or ordering your product. So I, I get what you're saying. I just think that when I first started my first seven or 10 years, so to speak in business, you know, I was in the mindset that branding was important for a small business and, and it really 
I don't think it is. I think it comes down to people acting on uh, an ad, acting on a mailer, acting on something to generate. So let me ask you something that's on my mind. Mm -hmm. And that is, why is it that small businesses are bad at lead generation or awareness? I think that they have not really figured out the equation of how much to invest to acquire a customer, right? If they really understood the lifetime value of a customer, that every dollar that they spend actually adding to their top line revenue growth and really figure out that equation, they wouldn't be so bad at marketing. They wouldn't be so cheap on yeah. investing into their customer acquisition effort, right? So when you, the reason why I'm opposed to the whole idea of just focusing on lead, lead gen alone is because there's a lot of companies out there that sells you a lead. Because you're in the you're in the financial sector, right? You you're trying to get you know offering lending. So there's so many websites out there that creates all these blog posts and then just create content and say, oh, you want to get you know uh, qualified today? Just fill out the information. All they're doing is grabbing somebody's cold contact information and selling it to you for fifty bucks and to seven other guys for fifty bucks. That's providing but, I use them. I don't use them, but that's yeah, yeah, fine. yeah. right. Yeah. So I'm I'm assuming that most other companies are probably doing it because all they want is warm. warm warm conversation, they're just paying for somebody's contact information. What ends up happening is there's no real, there was no brand that um, equity to that that conversation that started, right? They just submitted a form. Now there's seven calls that came in from seven different lending companies that are trying to give them money. And it's, it's a transactional interaction. But once you have a brand equity built where there's a trust factor with that brand, that the chances of you winning that deal is much higher, right? Someone who comes to you, heard your podcast, Submitted a form on your website has a trust factor built that is beyond anything. So I would I would even turn the question on you and say, why would you, as a guy that's you know offering and lending money, decided to start a podcast in the first place? Well, I uh, it's, it's it's a complicated answer. The the first thing is um, that we do it for SEO purposes. Mm -hmm. So we take the the we use. Uh, when we do the podcast, we take the content and turn it into an article. Mm -hmm. And that article goes on our website, which then uh, gets, you know, a lot of people will pick it up. They'll get links to it. Um, and so we're building content through. So it typically would cost us about $800 to have somebody write up an article, let's say based on what we're talking about today, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I can get it done for $60 through because – the per, well, for however we do it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's one reason. The second reason is now, like, listen, I, I love doing them. Mm -hmm. I love doing, I know you probably love doing them too, right? And I love doing them. And what it does, uh, I started off and four years ago doing them. And I said, let me, um, let me give it a try. You never know what something might turn into until you kind of give it a, a go. And it wasn't difficult. It wasn't hard. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I it now has grown into thousands uh, of listeners listen to every podcast. And so now I wasn't expecting people to come to me because they listen to podcasts. And now that's happening. Mm -hmm. But I mean, this is the probably the 90th episode. So, mm -hmm. you know, it takes some time. So there's a variety of multi-factors that are involved. But the the return on the investment, which I, I liked what you said was, you know, um, 
do you know how much it costs you to acquire a client and how much you're making off that client? The return on the investments for the podcast um, and the article has been great. Mm-hmm. So why do you do it? So I, I, have, I have a qualifying question too, because if you think about it, you are a guy that's trying to lend money and you're talking about marketing. And I even looked at some of your other prior podcasts. You have so many people talking about how to create content for a whole year in five days. You have all sorts of other con- you know, topic that you're covering. It has nothing to do with financing. No. It's everything we, to do with small business. Yeah, we never talk about financing. Correct, podcast, yeah. right? So what you're doing is a, casting a wide net. So you're trying to get as many people who are in the market who are interested mm, in the in business, mm. getting them to know that you exist. Now they listen to you and they listen to Steve and he's not selling finance. He's actually providing value. Now they've built a trust factor with Steven because his, he has no alternative motive but to give them value. By, yeah. by exchanging value, you created a trust. So would you rather go borrow money through you or someone who just submitted a form, uh, you know, saw some sort of a Facebook ad saying, oh, you want to borrow money? Just come to me because I have no trust factor and I'm not going to go disclose my financial information with this guy that I've never heard of just because I saw his Facebook ads. Yeah. So I am not opposed to the fact of driving leads, but that's actually a transactional relationship and may not have that brand equity built into it where that trust factor is going to have a much better chance. What ends up happening is though, you're going to shorten your sales cycle because you're going to start to see people who trust you, who's been following your podcast for seven years, seven months, is going to have an immediate need for financing. They're going to come to go to straight to Steve and fill out the form and say, hey, Steve, I need you. I've been listening to your podcast for seven years. Now you just paid, you know, paid for your seven years of podcast with that one loan that you closed. So that's why I'm saying awareness and awareness is a problem. So why do you, you know, I get all those valid pack in my, in my, um, in my mail. I don't, you know, I'm not in need for a window, but I do know window works is in every one of those valve packs. What they've done is consistently show me those, you know, those uh, flyers in my, in my mailbox and I've been seeing it. So if ever there was a need for me to go Comp- call a company for window work, you know, window, I'm going to call it window works, right? But what they've done is still branding and awareness. Yes, at the end of the day, it is, an, you know, it's what they're going to do is generate a lead off of me, but it actually is also building the brand. And that brand awareness is really the the driver in getting consistent flow of customers. Yeah, I think it convinced me. I think the difference was, um, uh, I think the difference was the cost. Like when I'm thinking of branding, I'm thinking of like you Xerox spending billions of dollars, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, small business is going to do that. But the reason why you're, there's a great example, because the reason why I can do the awareness campaign that we're doing is because mm-hmm. um, it's so cheap. Mm-hmm. We found a cheap way of doing it. Right. Yeah. So you're, you're right. You're right. And I, I didn't think that in my equation. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, and that's where the the lifetime value of a customer has to be taken into account to your investment, and it cannot be a short term vision because what you've done, you did not go into podcast creation with oh, I gave three, you know, three three weeks, I did podcast, I did not get a lead, and you gave up. And if you do that, you're going to give up on content marketing at all. Like, you, yeah, you won't think right. You're talking about creating blogs and doing all of those things. If you start a blog today, you're not going to see any traffic immediately. You're going to give up, right? But you need to have a long-term vision and you know, hey, my customer lifetime value is so great that I have to invest up front to see the uh, end outcome to be profitable for me. Yeah, I know your firm was strong in this in the area of, of creating a formula, customer acquisition formula and that type mm-hmm. of area. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Give me a case study. Uh, give me a case study where... You know, you, you, you were working with a client, brand new client, you know, tell me the scenario. Why did they want, want to work with you? What, 
What was the whole scenario? How did it transpire? You know, give me a best case scenario. So yeah, before I can do that, let me explain that formula too. Right? It's very simple because if you think about how do you grow a business, it's acquisition plus retention equals growth, right? So you just got to figure out what is, what's the acquisition side of the equation? What do I have to solve for, right? I need to acquire customers on a consistent basis, basis right? Figure out all the tactics that I have to execute to do that. And then retention, most companies don't realize that it's actually cheaper to retain your existing customer than to go, right? Sometimes five to seven times more expensive to acquire one than to actually retain it. So if you do those, those two things consistently, right, then you're growing. If you're not doing one or the other, right, if you're, all you do is retaining customers, then you're not growing. You're staying stagnant. But if you're growing, do a great job in acquisition, but you do a poor job in retention, you're also still not growing because you're probably staying you know, stagnant or just you know, not literally you know, going out of business because you're consistently growing customers. So you got to do both of those things consistently to really grow customers. So our typical customers are mostly in the B2B sector. So these are mostly manufacturing companies or SaaS companies, so software as a service companies. So, you know, we, are, we actually tell our clients that we take customers from obscurity to market dominance. So a perfect example I can give you is a manufacturing company. It was a family-owned business, uh, was a, a company that did a, a epoxy flooring solution. So they are a manufacturer of, you know, chemical products that you would use uh, to do industrial flooring solution for companies. When they came to us, they relied heavily on contractors coming to them with a project and giving them a uh, specification and say, hey, I need this sort of a, you know, uh, slip resistant flooring for this, you know, 100,000 square foot for whatever hospital use or whatnot, right? So their number one driver was either uh, trade shows or contractors that they met the trade shows would coming to them and saying, hey, we need, uh, we need the, this whatever product. So what we did was we flipped that entire framework. So we started driving consistent flow of business to them by inbound marketing, right? So uh, this is by essentially uh, creating content that every possible content that you can think about in the industry about slip resistant floor, chemical resistant floor, food grade flooring solutions, and all the you know best practices on how to maintain your floor and all of those things. So we became a Wikipedia in the industry for their product offering, right? So now all of a sudden the Yen customer is researching, well, I'm trying to remodel our you know, seven story hospital. I need to find you know, chemical resistant or slip resistant floor because OSHA recommends me to do that. I have to research it. Now they go and they inquire on our client's website, hey, we have a 300,000 square foot hospital floor flooring that we're gonna redo. We need to get information. So instead of them going, relying on the contractors to bring them a lead, now, all of a sudden, they become the lead generation machine, like you said, right? They started becoming the, the supplier of leads to contractors locally and say, hey, I have a 300,000 hospital. I can give you the lead, but you have to use my products. You can use an alternative product. All of a sudden, when I keep giving you, Stephen, five leads a month, but you only even bring me one project back, I'm going to question, is Stephen either not a good sales guy and his company doesn't know how to sell or he's selling my competitor's product? So I need to find another contractor in that market who can take my jobs, right? So they are now becoming a, a machine that drives inbound leads for their own contractors. The contractors love this company and start bringing them projects and taking their you know, leads and turning them into customers very quickly. So what ends up happening is they went from obscurity to market dominance. And within a matter of three years, that company was acquired by one of the largest uh, companies in the world. It's actually um, Tenant, which I'm pretty sure you've seen it. Tenant is a company that actually manufactures floor cleaning equipments. So they saw this small company out of nowhere dominates the market presence for epoxy flooring solutions. So went from obscurity to market dominance, all from creating so much awareness for their brand, yeah. which became an industry leader in that space. I get it. I get it. It makes a lot of sense too. I mean, like 
when you have the specialty products like that, I think the, the consumer of it is does some good research. So if you can produce some really great content, it it people like who are reading that they're looking for like my business partners that way. Like he's really, he'll dive really deep into researching something. And so if, if something is really created, that's really educational um, and true, mm-hmm. I think, you know, it really hits his radar. Yeah. If you think about it, regardless of whether you do a lot of research or not, we all go through a very particular buyer's journey. It's unaware that you don't, you're unaware that, that you have a problem then you become problem aware, then you become solution aware, then consideration and decision, right? So every one of us is going through that problem, right? Some problems that we're already aware of it, we just need to know, hey, I need a solution. I'm just gonna go look for that solution and buy it. But when you're talking about those things, right? They have a they have a problem, they're aware of the problem, they're starting to research how to solve the problem by you, the supplier, educating the buyer about the right way to solve it. Now you became the subject matter expert that taught them what the solution should be. Now you became the go-to partner who they're going to choose when it's time to come to solve the problem, right? So awareness, de- consideration, and decision, which is a very simple buyer's journey, you know, uh, process that we need to keep in mind as we're creating content or doing any sort of marketing. Um, you know, SEO is such a prevalent way of marketing nowadays, right? <laughs> but when you're doing your awareness, so to speak, campaigns, what are some other are there some other areas that you that you have seen that your clients are going to? Yeah, so SEO is in in our from my perspective, SEO is just a tactic, right? So what you need to think about SEO is search engine optimization, right? So what it means is like someone is googling a search term, you need to make sure that you're organically getting found for that term, right? That's why you mentioned, hey, I'm taking the, I'm doing these podcasts, I transcribe them, turn them into a blog post, upload it on our website. So when I know that when someone is Googling small business marketing, I want my website to show up and then that's how I get found. So that's just one tactic. But what you are trying to solve for is how do you drive consistent flow of traffic? So the answer you need to look for is what's the lowest cost per visit that I can have to drive a a qualified visitor to my website? So then the question really, what you need to answer for is who are my buyers? Where do they congregate for information? How do I get in front of them the, the lowest cost per you know eyeball, and how do I entice them to come to visit me? Once they are there, then my challenge is how do I get this person to, you know, exchange their contact information for something of value in exchange, right? So your goal is how do I get traffic from the target customers, and then how do I get them to convert into some sort of an inquiry, and then ultimately how do I nurture them to turn them into a customer in the long term? So what SEO is only a part of the equation, but it is not the equation, right? So you need to do a great job in knowing what keywords that you should be focusing your content creation around and making sure that your content is found by optimizing for the right terms. But at the end of the day, what you really are solving for, knowing your persona, what are their pain point, and where are they looking for the answers to that pain point? So if you think about it from that perspective, you're, you know, you're, you know, the most business people are challenged like, oh, should I be on Instagram? Should I be on LinkedIn? Should I be on YouTube? Should I be on TikTok? What you really are not looking for where I need to be is my customer there. Are they actively looking to solve their business problem? Are they asking questions or seeking answers there? And if so, I should be providing value in that platform. You know, so I was taking some notes as you're doing really, because what you were saying is, uh, 
really good stuff, to be honest with you. And um, and I, I'm going to say out loud, I think probably a lot of our listeners are, you know, listen, my marketing is my skill set. So like I can be a, a real evangelist about what you're talking about, Sam. But if you're not an evangelist in marketing, and I think that's part of the issue that I was kind of getting to earlier, and that is, you know, people who start, there's all types of different types of people, before I get to my point, but the there's all different types of people who start businesses, right? And maybe let's talk about the epoxy guy that you, that you were talking about. He was probably like an engineer or chemical, or he was really interested in, and he came up with this great product. Uh, and I'm um, just, you know, mm-hmm. just go with the flow for a second. It might not be uh, 100% true. He might have bought it or something like that. But marketing was never his skill set. He's an mm-hmm. engineer, mm-hmm. right? And you're in your small business, you can't have a director of marketing that you're paying $120,000, $150,000 to a year, not at, not, not at, you know, three, $4 million, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, for a company. Um, so a lot of times the owner has to kind of, come up with some of the lead generation programs themselves mm-hmm. and then trying to take an engineer who, you know, wants to spend his time with customers and, you know, kind of building the company and telling them they have to move into marketing. And then you start going over these ideas, which are awareness, how to get my buyers, how to get traffic, nurturing them, what are clients really looking for and how are they find us, so on and so forth. Uh, it could be a little overwhelming, can it? Yeah, it can. And I think what they what ended up happening is they're going to resort to the most comfortable yeah. and most obvious, which yeah. is like, oh, I'm just going to do trade shows because every guy yes. does trade shows. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that's essentially what happens when you don't really, you know, when you when you're just trying to do the the most obvious and the most comfortable. Yeah. Um, but that's when you sometimes have to think outside of the box and say, what is the most you know most efficient way for me to reach my target customers? and provide value and, and earn their trust. So when you go to a company that they say, you know, we need help with lead generation of marketing and, the, and everything. Um, and, and, and then you go, the first question is, oh, how do you do it now? Right. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, we go to trade shows. Right. And good luck during COVID that, that, that strategy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you then go back and I, I'm sure you take them slowly through your thought process. Right. Mm -hmm. But what are they usually the most responsive about? Do they, they probably buy into the concept Mm -hmm. of this whole idea you're talking about. Did you just explain to me very well awareness? Right. Mm -hmm. So, so my, my question is, is do your, your businesses I know are a lot of B2B business Mm -hmm. to business. I don't know if you do B2G, but business to business, um, what are the what what do you find that the owners really like the most outside of you know from what you're saying outside of trade shows that would you know what do they like the most so the first thing that i think uh the the reason why most people do gravitate toward what we solve for is that over time we're lowering their cost of acquisition so you talked about trade shows if you just take trade shows for example most of these companies probably do a four a year you know, let's say they're, you know, they're manufacturing company, they do four a year, each one is probably about 40 grand, right? So that's almost $160,000 that they spent, right? So that, you know, that 
that amount of money for maybe a couple of hundred business card, you just do the math. You, let's say $120,000 a year, 200 business card you got, your cost per lead is extremely expensive. And the chances of you closing any one of them is probably very slim. And if you do close one, maybe let's just say you close four. And if you had average cost per trade show was 40,000, because you got to think about renting the booths, traveling there, sending two of your sales engineers, spending nights there, paying for their hotels, their traveling expenses, everything else included, probably some marketing materials. I mean, 40,000 is like a rough, small, cheap ex, you know, exhibit. So if, if that's how much you're investing to have your most cost, most expensive resources to be out in the field looking for a prospect, that's expensive. And if you do get only a couple of hundred business cards, you just paid that many, you know, that much dollars to get those business cards. That does not mean they're qualified buyers ready to buy. And you're hoping in a couple of months, they're going to give you a PO. Some, sometime in the future, they turn into a customer. Show you when you look at the overall cost of acquisition is extremely expensive. So when they realize that, then they reapply that money into other forms of marketing, like your your podcast. Your podcast is a living, breathing salesperson that's doing sales for you every day. And it's not like a trade show that was four days long and it was gone and disappeared, right? This is going to sell even when you're sleeping, right? So you're creating such an immense amount of value for your target customers that the assets that you're creating is a brand equity that lives on. And when it's time, even when you're even thinking about exiting, your website is an equity, it's an asset that you built beyond just your intellectual property, which could be your chemicals or your formula, right? Because what businesses owners need to start thinking about their web property is an asset of their business and their sales rep might leave them, but the website never leaves. That website is a money-making machine that operates even when they're actually sleeping. So once they understand that 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 framework or that you know mental mindset, their 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 perspective changes. So then they start saying, "Well, now it's an investment. I need to take this very seriously. What I do with this website and how do I monetize this web prop property and traffic, uh, right? And then they also need to really understand their contacts that they actually have because. When we talked about our you know, growth formula framework, we said acquisition plus retention. That contact form, contact database is a gold mine. They need to treat it as such. What happens in most organizations, they give a quote that customer didn't buy, they give up on the contact, but they don't realize that customer's problem may not have solved immediately. They probably ran away from you because you're two pennies extra or two pennies more on a per unit, but their problem may, may still persist. They go to a competitor, so, try to do the project, they did not come on, you know, time on delivery or quality suffered or whatever those things. If you're nurturing that contact, even though they didn't buy from you, there comes a time when they're in the market again, they're going to go back to you. And you just lower your cost, or, cost of acquisition and lower your cost of cost per lead by just nurturing that lead a lot, lot longer than your competition did. Yeah, that's all good stuff, man. I'm just getting so many good ideas. I'm taking notes everywhere and I'm out of the sticky pad. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm writing notes, but I just put... Uh, you know, I kind of, I feel like I have to revisit my marketing plan a little bit to kind of, I, I like having everything in writing and then mm -hmm. I like file executing the, the, the written thing. I find that, you know, the problem, because, you know, in marketing, you can come up with so many different ideas and then you, you need to be able to execute it. So then you can, you typically have to limit what you're executing and just do the most important stuff. You know, you, after, I'll, I'll tell you a story in my, my second company which it, it was a really good company, it, very profitable. It, it, we had a, a, a staffing company that placed really high-end technology consultants. Um, and uh, it was just a great business. And um, what had happened was I, was I was hiring people and they weren't working out, right? 
And, and then you get like this one great salesperson who's producing a lot of your business. And number one is they're in, they're usually kind of crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Number two is you're, you're completely tied to that person and you're scared shitless that if they leave you, you'd be in trouble. Okay. And that's no way to run a business. And I was like, man, I, this sucks because I, I ran through two people like that. And then I also had turnover on the other people. And I'm like, you know, this, this has got to change. I can't just find this needle in the haystack all the time of a great salesperson. So what happened was I was like, I need to be able to control um, our, how we're doing. Mm-hmm. And without me going out and doing the sales myself, which I didn't, uh, which I knew was a huge mistake for a small business, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I'm good at it, but that's not what I want. If I want to be a salesperson, I'll go work as a salesperson. So what I said, what I dawned on me, and this, this is 20 years ago, that I said, if I control the lead generation to this company, in other words, if I have a great marketing plan, with, with great leads coming in. One, I don't need to hire as many good people. Two, my salespeople are a lot happier because they're getting leads coming in. Because at the time, the idea was you start a salesperson and you, at the time, this is how long ago, was you give them, uh, I didn't do this, but you give them a phone book and you say, go, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, it's hard. Anyway, mm-hmm. So, and the third thing was, if they leave me, I still got the leads coming in. Mm-hmm. So ever since then, I've been a, 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 a business owner who has focused 90% of my efforts on what's great lead generation. And it's really, honestly, it's worked really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, I also have a business partner um, that is great on the back end. So he's great with operations. He's great with all the technical stuff and all this other stuff, whereas I can be the marketing side. So uh, anyway, you made me think of that uh, when you talked about you know the leads that come into a company. Your, your I, comments on that? I can give you an example. So we have a printing company that's a manufacturer. They do custom boxes and very expensive packaging solutions for very expensive, you know, very famous brands. So in the typical printing industry, they have a concept called a house account versus accounts owned by a rep. So what usually happens with a sales uh, printing organization is a rep will come, they'll bring a book of business, a couple of million dollars of contracts, and you're like, oh, excited to bring that guy along and he stays with you. Something goes wrong, something goes south, maybe a customer, you you screwed up a job. He picks up his bag. He leaves with your $2 million worth of business. Yep. And you're screwed in the process because you just had, you know, you probably even got excited and bought another machine hoping that this guy's going to stick with you, right? Because you don't really have a long-term contract with any of those reps. So if you can figure out a way to consistently drive business, like you said, and your house account is what drives the growth, you share less profit with your sales reps, right? Yeah. You give leads to your reps as a as a as a courtesy of actually working for you and it's a value add for them because they don't have to go hunt the phone and hunt the, you know knock on doors to generate business they can be more pr- productive because they're spending most of their time on revenue generating activity not wasting time on prospecting or you know visiting or driving and wasting time in traffic so if you think about it from that perspective you are hiring reps and you're wasting a lot of money 
you need to think about it from the total cost of acquisition, not like, oh, my rep is there, you know, oh yeah, he's going to produce and he's got, he's got a quota. He has to meet it. You, most business owners think a body solves the problem. Oh, I put a body there. That solved the problem. That's not solving the problem. The more bodies you have, you just create a more problem for yourself. So essentially, that's how I think we need to, as business leaders, to need to think about it. Think about the total customer lifetime value. Think about the cost of acquisition. How do I reduce the overall cost of acquisition by making sure that I have a very strong brand? People recognize this. Trust my brand over a rep that just showed up to, at the door with a better, you know, better presentation. Yeah, I think I think you're right too with this idea about a formula because you know you really, you know, when you when you're, you are using different marketing uh, strategies and pl- platforms. I mean, you should know how much money you're you're making off of each platform. So when you get a client that comes from a trade show, okay, um, okay, well, what did the trade show cost? How much money did you spend on various activities, and 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 then how much do you make off of that client? And then mm-hmm. if you if you're doing SEO, then you. And you should be, you should, I do it all the time, measure, you know, where they came from and how much money you made off that particular client. And I think salespeople should also be, um, you know, uh, you in that formula as well. What is it a cost for me to have this salesperson? You know, w- you know, what did they close and how much money did we make it? What's your total cost of acquisition? How much money do I make off of each vertical marketing. And, and the reason why I say that is uh, it you know, comes up with the idea that you should have uh, sales, either salespeople should get paid differently per commission on in-house accounts mm-hmm. than they do for generating new business. Mm-hmm. You know, they should be paid maybe four times the commission if they get a client that's through their own marketing efforts mm-hmm. uh, versus an in-house account, uh, you know, they get paid one fourth the commissions that they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you have a new business sales rep that only does new business and you have a house account. Or like one of the things that we did, not to belabor the point, is uh, we we kind of did a hybrid of both. And that was uh, the salesperson would get uh, uh, a, a higher commission in the beginning for a client, but then as that client became a client longer, it would slowly go down and to zero. So it would force that salesperson to always have to get new clients. Mm-hmm. However, having been in sales my almost you know for a long time, I would tell you, uh, uh, Sam, and that is. Uh, salespeople who go out and constantly have to go find new clients and don't get paid for old clients burn out super fast Hmm. and you got to pay them higher um, because it is hard work. Mm -hmm. So it is, it's a tough industry to be in for sure. Right. And I think you have to, you know, pro, you know, you have to plan your incentive program to, to incentivize them to do more and do it well, but also benefit by having being loyal to the organization and sticking with the customer, right? So you can still have a, a residual commission model for your, uh, your reps if they are meeting them quarterly, doing a business review, assessing how happy they are with our offering or what, whatnot, right? And doing some of those things, 
then give them some incentive to actually take the time to go meet their customers, solicit some referrals from them or whatnot, right? So I think if you have compensation packages that really designed to drive the kind of behavior you want from that rep, that's the right way to do it as opposed to saying, hey, you're not going to get a commission after the first year of contract. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, yeah, it's all good stuff. Yeah, I, I, I really learned a lot today, uh, Sam. I thought it was very, very interesting. And I think probably our listeners, I, I, I think, you know, I don't like when we get into the real simple stuff. I like it when we get a little bit more into you know, nitty gritty like we did today. So I'd like to thank so very much, Sam. Uh, Timothy from uh, 1IMS for coming on to today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com. Sam, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, uh, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, so it's just simple, oneims.com, so onmeims.com. And you can get a, a ton of resources there. Like you mentioned earlier in the beginning, I have two podcasts as well. I primarily interview entrepreneurs and just trying to get into the heads of these entrepreneurs and what drives them, what motivates them, what are some of their you know, processes or systems in place for you know, problem solving and scaling and things of that nature. So I love doing it. I learn a lot. It's kind of self-serving for me to actually interview other entrepreneurs because I learn a lot more uh, by listening to other people's experience and trying to learn it on my own experience. Yeah. And your firm, you really are a consulting company, right? That helps companies really figure out their marketing. Is that accurate? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So we do do a little bit of execution uh, in terms of doing it for the customer, but primarily yeah, is building that framework that they need to execute off of. And it's, uh, it's basically what we've done for hundreds of other companies in the, in the marketplace. Have you, have you ever thought of billing clients based on your success? So, so you could say, you know what, I, I know this is uh, uh sacrilege, mm -hmm. but going to them and saying, listen, you don't have to pay me anything. All right. But if we generate leads based on the program that we're going to execute for you, right. Of course they got to pay for that. Okay. Um, you, I got to pay me, you know, three X or three times what you would have if instead of my consulting fees. Have you ever done anything like that? We had uh, several engagement where there is a, a, an actual um, performance-based bonus structure built into the engagement. Uh, but you have to have both party agree and trust that, there is that, uh, that there's got to be a level of trust and also transparency internally to be able to monitor whether or not those leads that you've generated or the conversations that they had turned into opportunities. Yeah, I know. It's complicated. So it's know. a lot more complica complicated. Exactly. I know. I've been talking to my, I for years and years, years, I've been talking to my SEOs, my SEO companies about that, consultants about that. All right. Well, everybody, listen. Also, um, if our listeners are interested in getting any new business ideas, I tweet daily about lessons for business owners at S Halasnik, S H A L A S N I K. And I want to thank all our listeners for listening uh, today. I think, you know, I just, I've, I, I emphasize it in so many of my podcasts. If you want to grow, you got to do it through marketing. You, you got, you, if you have, you could have the best product or service in the world. If no one knows about it and you can't acquire clients, you don't have a growing business. It's going to grow to like a million dollars or so. And, you know, maybe more, but you know, the, the theme of this podcast is for you to get over 10 million. 
And the reason why that $10 million is so important is, is when you reach 10 million, you become a target for people to buy you. That's the magic number. And you can't get to 10 million and no one's going to be interested if you don't have a lead, a lead generation strategy or marketing. So, all right. So you know, I just, I'm a really proponent of that. I know Sam is too as well. And so other than everybody have a great day. The spring is right around the corner. We get to go outside. Unless you live in Chicago where Sam lives, then, you know, he's got a couple more months to go. Everybody have a great day. <laughs>